This is the Bare Naked Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Party. I'm a mindfulness mentor and breathwork facilitator who's here to bring you unfiltered conversations about mindset, spirituality, holistic healing, and entrepreneurship. Bare Naked Soul is about expressing who you truly are underneath it all as you shed the layers of who you think you're supposed to be. This is my journey of letting my authentic soul speak in hopes that it inspires you and teaches you to explore and express who you really are too. Okay, hello everyone and welcome back to Bare Naked Soul. I have the most incredible guest with me today. You guys are absolutely going to love Victoria. Um, She is the author of a book that I have fallen in love with. I read it over the summer, maybe six months ago, um, and it's definitely been one of those that I want to go back to like it's in my I have like a separate shelf for books that I plan to reread because normally when I read a book I give it to a friend after you know but um yeah this made the reread pile because it's just very profound in the explanation of manifestation and mindset and healing and, and all these things that I've read in so many books it just she she brought it together in such a simple way and a very practical way and um yeah so she's here to tell us all about it Um, Victoria Song is a leadership advisor to visionary founders and CEOs of the fastest growing technology companies in Silicon Valley and celebrities who want to use their platform for good. A Forbes 30 under 30 investor, Yale University and Harvard Business School alumni, Victoria has helped her clients achieve multi-billion dollar exits. She's the author of the new WSJ bestseller, Bending Reality, How to Make the Impossible Probable. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lee. It's so good to be here. I already love your energy. (laughs) Tell how expansive you are in this moment. (laughs) Yes, so excited, so expansive. Um, Okay, so you have like such an impressive resume, if you want to call it. Um, Such amazing work that you've done. Tell us kind of how you got here. What's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, you know, I think my track record looks like it was pretty linear and straightforward, but I would say that most of my background, I was doing what made sense, you know, what was more traditional in terms of the external validation that I would, you know, get from achieving. So going to Yale, going to Harvard, I even worked in finance as like my first internship. Um, And it wasn't really until I hired my first coach that I had a bit of an existential awakening or even, um, yeah, just, I came off autopilot essentially and realized that no matter how much achievement, um, you know, I had done by a young age, I, I think I, yeah, when I went to Harvard business school, I was 24, you know, so going there and realizing, wow, you know, doesn't seem like it's all it was, I heard it was going to be. And also I looked around at my colleagues and my friends and it didn't seem like any of us were that content or that fulfilled. And so, um, so yeah, I might look like it was linear, but for me, it was actually quite jarring to, um, do something for a long time, which is like achieving path. And then now going to one of personal fulfillment, doing things that don't make sense at times to the outside world, um, having visions and dreams that most of the people around me maybe look at, like, really, you think you can do that? Um, and getting here has not been easy. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been kind of a bumpy journey and, but I'm so grateful for every moment of it. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's so interesting when, when someone like you who has gone to these incredible schools and has done these things that people dream of, right. And, um, it's, we, we, we look at that and we think, oh, wow. Like if I had that, then I would be happy. Right. So I think it's really a powerful example that you, that you share that, that our happiness doesn't come from those, those accolades and those achievements. Um, and you talk about that in the book. And one thing that you say in your book about this is um, as soon as it says, as soon as you relate to anything in your life as must make this happen, you're in contraction. So can you tell us what contraction is and how that relates to us? We want, we have goals, we want to do big things, but how can we do that from a place of expansion versus contraction? Mm, I love that you highlighted that part of the book. Um, so contraction is a felt experience in the body. So you can tune into it right now, picturing something not going the way you hoped it would, maybe disappointment, maybe fear or doubt. And you can just notice in your body that all of a sudden, like for me, just saying this right now, my, my breath is getting shallow. I'm noticing I'm getting a little bit tense, a little bit more alert, more vigilant. Um, and I, yeah, I'm kind of like scanning the environment for safety, making sure I'm okay. And what I have seen is that, you know, many teachers talk about things like don't have a scarcity mentality, um, you know, don't focus on lack or focus on what you have or, um, you know, self-worth or doubting yourself, low self-esteem confidence, like all of these states that we talk about really are characterized by this feeling of contraction in the body. And so when you say, and the moment, you know, you must make something happen, it does feel like the moment you turn a goal into a need, there's a sense of urgency. There's almost a sense of desperation. There's also this grasping or forcing something to happen, almost like this control and predict energy. All of these things create the sensation of contraction in the system. And the opposing state that I encourage uh, my clients to cultivate, and I give tools in the book for how to make your default state is one that I call expansion, which in this example, it's like, what would it feel like if instead of needing something to happen, this must happen, you actually felt the excitement of what, what if this happened? Wouldn't that be incredible? What would that make possible? And it, leaning more into maybe the gratitude, maybe the vision, perhaps the feeling of you know, I actually have what I need and this is just more. So this feeling of can more actually just feel like more can wanting something, going after a dream feel abundant, or does it always have to signal the sense of panic in the system, unnecessary panic of contraction? Mm. So why do you think we tend to come from that contractive state, that lack state, that if I don't have this, I'm not going to be happy. I, I can't be happy until this thing happens. People need to see this thing happen for me, right? Why do you think that's like our default? I definitely feel like there was a bit of um, tangling or like cross-wiring from just like the evolutionary need to survive, right? This like fight or flight. And for the most of our evolutionary existence, we have had things that were true risk to our safety, we're truly just surviving with the, the goal of the day. Um, and in some ways, it's like our programming has just not caught up with the truth of our new reality, which is that for most of us, fortunately, for a lot of us, probably tuning into your podcast, 
day to day, we are actually physically safe, but our brains often confuse discomfort with unsafety, meaning that, you know, if something feels like it's stretching me outside my comfort zone, if something feels like, what if I fail, if something feels like the potential disappointment, our body experiences that as unsafety versus, well, that would just be really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I don't like failing. I don't like, you know, going outside my comfort zone. I don't like um, possibly upsetting somebody and hurting someone's feelings. You know, those are things that are very uncomfortable. Hard conversations are uncomfortable, but they're not unsafe. And yet our bodies, I think just because of the way we're wired confuses that. And so it's very easy, unfortunately, to trigger our fight flight state where uh, things that feel threatening to our ego actually feel threatening to our physical safety. Um, and in our world, the new way to survive and feel safe physically, often as a proxy for how much money we feel like we've accumulated in our bank, that becomes a new proxy for, do I feel like I'm going to be okay? Am I safe on the planet? Um, if that number goes up, I feel safer. And so therefore all activities that drive, you know, money or maybe even status, uh, network influence, those are the things that people now grasp at with, from a place of this has to happen or else I may not be okay. Um, and we just replace essentially all the things we think are going to buy us that safety when truly we're starting to learn through this personal development work, that safety is something that we need to cultivate from within. Um, and it's only when we're really in this calm, peaceful nervous system, what I call this expansive state that we actually have access to our full potential, our creative abilities, um, inspiration, good ideas, you know, all the things that I think we actually want in life um, really come if we first know how to internally create the state of expansion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something that people often question about this, and I've questioned this too, um, is sometimes it can feel like if I'm not super focused on the future, on that goal, if I'm not constantly thinking about that goal, constantly pushing, hustling for it, what if I become passive? Like, what if I get into expansion mode and it makes me become passive and Lazy. I settling? Yeah. Will that happen? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I have found that this is a very common misbelief and it really only comes from this side of things, right? Because obviously everything we are wired to, all of our alarms are going off of like, wait, that sounds like something really foreign. That sounds like something that doesn't compute. It's not what I'm taught. It's not what my parents prepared me for. It's not what it seems like everyone out there in the world is nervous about. Like we have to be constantly suffering, struggling, sacrificing. And if we're not, then we might become lazy, sit on our couch, become a blob, and then like can't pay our rent. Um, and so I think that this is a misbelief that really only comes on this side of reality, because truly what I have seen, what I've done and what my clients do is that they actually raise the upper limits on what is possible in their world. They stretch the sense of probabilities and possibilities when they're able to actually come from a place of trust, acceptance with where they are at while excitement for what's to come, when they can actually feel this place of surrender, trust, almost like a leaning back energy of almost like when you're driving a car, it's like, do you have to have your foot on the gas pedal all the time? Or is there this trust of momentum that comes this gliding experience, which is really what I think people start to accept and lean into in this place of expansion, more of that flow state is what 
um, ultimately my clients realize gets them to their full potential versus the need to be constantly cycling the bicycle and never trusting that if you stop cycling, that you might actually just glide. Mm, Beautiful. So kind of along those same lines, something that I struggle with and something that a lot of, um, you know, my clients and, and those in my community struggle with is we, we, we know this conceptually, like we, we, we believe it, but to embody and live from a place of it's okay to be sometimes instead of doing all the time. And we have this, it's just so ingrained that like, we need to work eight to 12 hours a day to succeed Mm -hmm. and really grind it out. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that versus, versus a a shorter workday that's maybe more focused or just, just allowing ourselves to do things other than work or be productive. How do we kind of undo that wiring? Yeah. What I have seen is that when we first stop constantly working, we get restless. We feel bored. We feel like even when we go on vacation, there's a part of us that has a sense of, I can't wait to get back. Cause I'm starting to feel restless. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. And to me, this is just an indication to your point that our nervous systems have become so wired to live in one state that we don't even know how to relax. Right. For most of the world, they know how to take a break. They understand the importance of sleep, but to actually sit and do nothing and feel like that's okay. And to feel relaxed on vacation, to feel like your brain is not thinking about all the things that need to happen tomorrow when you fall asleep at night. Like that's very, very, very difficult for the majority of the planet to turn off. And so in the book, I mentioned the importance of calibrating your nervous system to states of expansion such that you're training your body, that feeling that calm is okay. You know, nothing's going to go wrong. The other shoe's not going to drop just because you're doing nothing. So what that may look like for some people is self-care for other people that may look like doing activities that they love, such as um, reading a book, going for a swim, painting. But the more we can actually do activities that bring us back into the state of, oh, I'm safe. I'm doing what I love. Everything's okay. I feel relaxed. I feel at peace. I feel calm. For some people that's breath work, um, you know, getting a massage, but really there are infinite things and it's almost like, um, a lock combination code where everyone's going to have like a different code for the activities that really allow them to access a state of peace and calm in their nervous system. And so I really do believe that things like, oh, just trust or just surrender or know that I have faith that everything's going to be okay. You can't just tell someone to do that thing, like to, to have trust, because if our nervous system is not peaceful and calm, those words won't land. It will actually make you feel more nervous of like, you don't get me. You don't understand how important this meeting is. I can't just relax. I can't just surrender, but it's not until our nervous system actually feels like that's familiar. It's a new space of peace and calm that that level of relaxation is safe. We can access things like trust, for instance. So it definitely comes from the somatic experience of physically creating the repetition, the muscle memory in your body, that that's a new state for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. So one thing you talked about in the beginning of the book, you say the system is rigged and that's the media and consumerism kind of leads us into the, this contraction state. Can you share kind of what you mean by that? 
Absolutely. So I think it even starts as early from our, our childhood conditioning, right? With our school systems. And then it's even amplified in the media and our society. But essentially from a very young age, I think we're taught to, um, you know, be like this, be more like this, less like that. And that could be with discipline with your parents saying like, this is how a well-behaved child behaves. Um, it could also be in the school system where we're all trying to test to show that we're at least average across you know, uh, parameters that we look for in, in education systems today. And so there's always this striving and this trying to fit in and to meet these measurements that are set from the external world of what's normal, what's acceptable. Um, and then I think when we go out into the real world at our jobs and then, you know, with media and culture and society in general, we get even more messages of like, here's what cool looks like. Here's what you have to do to belong. Here's what you have to do to try to fit in. And before you know it, we've all really lost connection with what may be our natural essence, what may be our natural personality, who may we be if we haven't been shaped by what we're told we should be more like this and less like that. How would we be? Who would we be? We have no idea by the time we become adults in this world. And so I do think that it's probably um, a little bit unintentional, definitely from most of our family systems. I don't think it's intentional that we're conditioning our true nature out of our children, but for many of us, that is our reality. And so I think it's a journey of what we say, like coming home to yourself or remembering um, who you are. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, I think the, the personal journey. Yeah. I can so relate to that on my own journey and just going from being someone who was just constantly chasing everything, need to be seen doing all of these things and having these accomplishments um, in your, in your journey, you know, you, you went to Yale and Harvard and you have all these, all these things. And you mentioned how you kind of started to realize that it wasn't as fulfilling as you thought it was going to be. Um, for someone who's kind of in that stage right now, where they're like starting to like realize that peace and, and happiness is actually within, um, what are some practical ways that on a daily basis, we can kind of tap into that and, and keep track of whether we're in expansion or contraction? It's mm, a great question. I think one of the things that I've had to clean up regularly is why do I want this? So when I think about a vision or a goal or a dream, right? I want to create a memory of this beautiful thing. And maybe that's why I want it. Or it's like, I want to become more like this kind of person in the world, or I want to achieve this kind of success in the world, this kind of impact in the world. I've even seen many people with very great intentions of wanting to help humanity, it becomes, again, the sense of urgency of I'm only mad or I'm only significant if I make this level of impact on the planet, right? And so it's still, we want to look at where is it actually coming from? And so I think one of the ways to kind of be honest with ourselves or to check in with ourselves when we're wanting to be at peace with, okay, am I actually accepting myself or am I telling myself still that I'm going to be happy only after X happens is to check in like, well, why is this important to me? What am I making this mean? If I don't hit this revenue target, what does it mean? If I don't grow my business to this many clients and this kind of impact in the world, what does it mean? If I don't um, build this company successful, what does it mean? And when we start to hear things like, well, maybe people would laugh at me or maybe no one would take me seriously or no one would respect me or it would prove that I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. Then I can kind of breathe and realize like, oh, okay. 
well, then this may not be a desire that's actually pure for my heart. It might actually be a sneaky desire that snuck in because it's still trying to feel significant in the world, right? And so I think that oftentimes when we think about, you know, manifesting our visions, for instance, it's like, okay, this is a beautiful goal. I can see how this benefits my life. But, you know, in the book, I say a couple of lines like, may this happen or something even better for the best and highest of all. May I remove my personal agenda? May I even be willing to risk my own significance for the best and highest of all? I think when we run our desires through these filters, it's a way to kind of clean up where ego may be kind of sneaky with weird sneaking in desires and visions. Um, and we can be really honest with ourselves of like, is this good for the planet? And is this, um, is like, would I even be willing to do this if it actually ruined my reputation and made me lose all my credibility and made the whole world laugh at me? And if we can still feel like I would do it even if that happened, then we know, okay, I'm actually one, doing this for the right reasons and two, actually ready for whatever may happen. You know, there's this feeling of like, if I can't handle the failure, then maybe I'm not actually ready for the success of it. You know, we all want to have a best-selling book, but if we feel triggered into our wounded self, every time we get a bad review or someone says something about not liking us or making fun of us, then are we actually energetically able to hold that new level of success? Probably not. So I think that these are all ways to both clean up where our desires are coming from, but to also make sure that we're truly ready for, you know, everything that we're asking for. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. Because we tend to ask for overnight success, which we're probably not ready for. Um, and we, we attach our, our self-worth to all of these external metrics and it's, mm -hmm. it's not good. Um, one page that I had dog-eared, so I, I grabbed the book today and I was like going back to my dog-eared pages that I like wanted to remember. And one of them was the page about um, contraction and expansion in love and relationships. Mm. So you spoke about how, how a relationship changes depending on which state you're in. And I could see mm -hmm. it clearly for myself when I read it. So can you explain um, that and advice you have for kind of evaluating your relationship? Absolutely. So what you just said that we tie our self-worth to everything. I do think love and relationships is just another place that we do that, you know? So many times at the beginning of a relationship, particularly we're not even falling for the human in front of us. We're really falling for the feeling this person makes me feel about myself when I'm with them. Right. And so for many of us, especially if we tend to live in a more contracted state, that may mean that we are not sure, do we matter? Are we lovable? Are we good enough? Um, are we gonna be chosen by this person? And so when the beginning stages of a relationship, we're looking to that other person to really validate that we matter in the world, to make us feel good about ourselves, to make us feel that if this person chooses us, then it must mean that we're lovable. And so in those early phases, I believe that we put a lot of our power perhaps too much so in the other person's hands to either validate or invalidate whether or not we feel worthy. And then if it's going well, we feel really expansive, but then if it's not immediately, they might say or do something that makes us read into it as like, Oh, I knew it. I'm not important. They don't care about me. How come they don't show love the way I do? I would have done it this way. How come they didn't do it that way? And it's like, all of a sudden that's like this, um, minefields of, these invisible landmines where it's like, you don't know you're about to get 
you're about to step on something that may trigger the other human because that's actually what is going on in the relationship for that person. So yeah, I believe that when we're in contraction, it's like, we're still looking outside of ourselves to feel good on the inside. And then when we're in an expansive place, it's like, we already know that we're worthy. We're enough. We're choosing ourselves. We matter. And truly, if you don't know that there's nothing another human can do or say to infinity that would ever make you feel like you matter enough. So that's something we definitely have to give ourselves. But if you do, then you can approach a relationship from expansion and from an expansive place where you know you're worthy and you trust and you don't take things personally, all of a sudden it becomes much easier to speak up when maybe someone says something that hurts your feelings or if someone's behavior or attitude changes, you're not quick to think it has to do with you. And if they're not showing up in a way that is satisfying, you're willing to have a conversation. And if it's a deal breaker, you're willing to walk away from it. I find that when we're in contraction and we don't know we're worthy, we often stay longer than is healthy in relationships that we know are not actually unfulfilling, that are not healthy, that are not treating us at the standards that we deserve, but we just don't know it because our day-to-day experience is already one of contraction with or without that person in our life that we almost don't notice that this person is maybe still adding unhealthy situations to our life. And it, there's no contrast, you know, cause you're like, well, when I'm not with this person, I already kind of don't talk to myself nicely. Um, so I'm not even noticing the ways that this person maybe isn't healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And so using these, these two states, the contraction and the um, expansion, how can we know if, so like, let's say we're working on the expansion state, we're feeling better, we're seeing, we're seeing things more glass half full. How do we make sure that we're not settling though in a relationship that isn't serving us? Like we don't want to make it like a, like a toxic positivity where we're just pretending everything's fine. What do you mm. say around that? How to kind of like find that balance where you're, you're positive and you're not just getting mad at them for every single thing they do, but you're also not like being passive. Yeah, I do believe that there are things that are deal breakers for many of us and they will look different for everyone. So, you know, for me and for probably many tuning in, there is a certain level of respect, healthy communication, ability to handle conflict. Um, There are some basic things that if my partner got aggressive or my partner got like lost his cool and behaved in a way that felt um, hurtful or disrespectful, like those are things that um, I would have deal breakers around, right? Like this relationship probably wouldn't last very long if that's what was happening. And so I do think that it's up to us to really determine the difference between, Hey, this is a deal breaker. Like this, um, it's not honoring of my spirit. Like I, this is not good for me versus, Oh, they don't clean up after themselves. I wish they, you know, were more organized. I wish they were more into the things I'm into. Like they're, it's very different, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me. I, I have, um, some clients and friends, who have all sorts of wish lists of like, I wish my partner was more like this and less like that. And I wish they would stop doing this. And for them, and I think the stat is that 70% of the things that couples fight about are the same things that are never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Right. So then it just becomes like, well, is one of those things a deal breaker for you? And have you two developed a way to communicate in a way that you both feel seen and heard and respected and valued in that conversation? to co-create a solution that, um, you know, has to work for both of you. So I do think that there is a level of self-respect and honesty with oneself and clarity of one's own standards. 
that comes when we know we matter, when we know we are worthy, when we know that there's certain things that really are important to us that are deal breakers. And then it becomes a matter of, can we communicate that in a way and then really own that it's our responsibility to walk away if one of our deal breakers is not being met versus make our partner feel wrong until they change. So I really believe that I, my hope is that if we are both operating from expansion, then we get to see if that most expansive version of ourselves, do we get along, you know, or do I need to make you go against who you are, your true nature to make me happy? And if that's the case, then perhaps that's, you know, something that neither one of us wants. And so I think, yeah, this, these are difficult conversations that are hard to have if both parties are in contraction, because also that means both parties don't really know who they are, what they truly want. And they might be so used to conforming to other people's expectations that they're just doing that again in relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what about, and this might be triggering for some people, right? Because this is something that, these are some things that were in the book as well as often come up in these kinds of conversations. But what if someone's going through something where they feel like, but I can't be happy. I understand mm-hmm. that maybe a mansion would make me happy, but these are things I need. So like someone who's struggling with infertility or going through a breakup or a divorce or their business is failing, right? Something that they're like, what do I, I, I just lost my job, right? Things that people feel like, but I, I can't survive in this mode or I can't be happy until this gets resolved. Where do you think they should start? Yeah. So I think um, what you may be referring to is in the book, I talk about the importance of feeling our emotions. And so I would say that this is always the first place to start both for joyful emotions and also for ones that are hard to feel. And so in this case, I think what I would ask anyone to do is to feel the heartbreak, to allow yourself to feel the fear, the disappointment, the sadness, like all the things that this Um, brings up for you, like not being able to get pregnant or losing your job, like first and foremost is to acknowledge what that brings up emotionally for you. I think where people get hung up is that they start to not feel their emotions and then they have judgments about feeling the emotion. So it's like, I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to go there. Maybe it would never end. Maybe it'd be like a bottomless pit. Um, I feel angry. I shouldn't feel angry. So I'm going to just repress it. So when we repress our emotions, they actually get stuck and it turns into a state. It goes from like an emotion to a mood to a state. So I would say the best thing for you and for those around you, when you are going through a really hard time is to allow yourself to feel the impact on your being of what that event is bringing up for you. And then only after feeling it fully, do I think we actually have access to ideas, a solution set that we hadn't considered prior to feeling our emotions. I think that that is the biggest unexpected result of feeling emotions is that we, we get our intelligence back. I know for many of us, we think that emotions is irrational and it robs of us of our intelligence. But what I've seen is that people who have high emotional intelligence know how to hold uncomfortable emotions And it's their capacity to hold the uncomfortable emotions that gives them insight to, again, that calm state, which they can access solutions that you can't if every time you feel a hard emotion, it feels like you're playing hot potato and you're trying to get it out. 
Um, in many ways, it is the duration in which we can hold hard emotions that uh, determines, I think, our success in this world, right? It's like, can I, can I feel it? Am I willing to deal with it and hold it? And if I'm not, then that's when I'm going to be in a triggered state and maybe, you know, criticizing other people, blaming other people. So yeah, I would say that that's the first thing to do is to feel fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. And so many people have never done that or have never, it's just where like people say like, I'm emotional. I'm an emotional person. Like it's a bad thing and emotions are bad and we shouldn't feel them. And yeah, it's a really difficult thing for people to, to first experience. But for me and what I've noticed with my clients too, is the first few times that you do this exercise, you like really don't want to do it. You know, your mind's like, don't do it. Don't feel your feelings. But then it gets a lot easier because you realize they're not as scary as your mind makes them seem. Do you experience mm -hmm. that too? Absolutely. I think it's the way to set yourself free. Mm -hmm. I feel like we create a bit of a trap within our own being when that's our relationship to our emotions is not feeling them. And as soon as we realize like, oh, wow, this is a liberation. I can go here. I can feel it. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. Um, I don't have to be upset that I'm angry. Nothing, nothing. It doesn't mean anything, right? It's just information and just energy that needs to move out of your system. And when we can treat our emotions like they're they're valuable, like they can give us wisdom once we feel them, it's such a healthy place to be because that's the human experience. Ultimately, the more we try to avoid things that we don't want to feel versus heal, the more we're actually limiting our life experience into what I call in the book, like instead of a castle, which is the whole diversity of life as humans, because we don't want to feel certain things, we put ourselves in this one little room that we have complete mastery over. And that's when we feel protected. But if we, if we build our emotional core and build our emotional intelligence, we don't have to protect ourselves anymore. There's this sense of courage and like, I'll be okay. Like, yes, the worst thing may happen. I would be really disappointed. I might fail and be embarrassed temporarily, but I can handle that. And because I know I can handle it all of a sudden, I have more access to make bigger moves in my life. Mm -hmm. So what's the day-to-day -day like then for someone who's living by what you teach and what do they do? So like maybe they're moving through and they're, they're feeling expansion, they're feeling good. And then something triggers them or, or they start to slip into contraction. How will they know? And what should they do? Yeah. I mean, I feel this throughout a day as well. And it's so helpful to have a somatic way of identifying it. So again, like we talked about this, but it's like, when I feel contracted, it's like, I feel tightening in my chest. I can feel unsettled. I can feel my breathing changes. I can feel that I'm getting more nervous, you know? So as soon as I'm in that state, I know that something is happening on a deeper level than just this conversation at hand or just this event at hand. So, you know, if I'm going through a day and I maybe had a conversation with my partner and Maybe he said something that I really took to mean a certain thing. And I'm noticing that I feel really contracted and it's like, I feel heat. I often feel like fire in my belly or often feel like, um, yeah, a sense of fear as well of like, wait, what, what did that mean exactly? And depending on the situation, sometimes it can just come from me sitting with it. Like I said, feeling it. And then doing the self-responsible thing, which is to identify perhaps this has nothing to do with maybe the words that my partner said, but it had everything to do with what it made me remember. Like, oh, this is making me feel 
really unimportant. I'm feeling like I really don't matter right now. And for everyone, it's very different depending on our coding from our childhood. So for me, I've had moments where I didn't feel smart, moments when my voice wasn't being heard, moments when I felt really insignificant and dismissed. And so if anything in my current world makes me feel like this person thinks I'm stupid, they're dismissing me, they're treating me like I don't matter, I get to look at that and say, oh, wow, like this is bringing up an old wound. Let me feel this. Let me process what I'm making it mean. And then after I feel like I'm in a clean place with it, I can go have a conversation where I clarify like, hey, when you said this, this is the story I made up about what you meant. Is that what you meant? You know, or maybe it's something that was more clear that this, this sentence feels really rude. And then I can just say like, hey, um, perhaps you didn't mean it, but when you say X, it makes me feel Y. And it would be really great if you didn't say that in the future, right? But it's, I don't have access to how to have conversations like this um, if I don't know how to hold my uncomfortable feelings. Because when we feel hurt immediately, our tendency is to blame the other person and to feel like a victim, like something's happening to me. And then we lose all of our ability to have the awareness to make sense of, oh, like this is just a wound that you happen to touch which is making me think that it's your fault because you hurt me, but I'm realizing this wound was there long before you and it has nothing to do with you. I just noticed that when you, when you said that it hit that wound. And so, yeah, I get to clean that up on my end. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I would handle contraction, feel it fully. And then afterwards, what kind of conversations can I have to make sure that I can co-create a situation that works better for me in the future? Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds like we can use everything in our world, everything that goes bad or not our way or everything that triggers us for growth when we approach it this way. Yes, that's yeah. genius. It's so true. I think everything is meant to be healed in this lifetime or many lifetimes. And so if, yeah, if we really look at every trigger as just an opportunity to show us where we have some healing to do, then we would all be growing and evolving so fast. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like you've mentioned a few times that like we're, we make things mean something. And I think that is so true. I think we, we do, we take everything that someone says or does, it could be the most innocent thing. They didn't mean it. They, they just didn't like our picture or whatever it is. They didn't comment on our thing and they, whatever. And we make it mean something about us. And we take it so personally. Do you feel like that's a big part of what goes on in our thoughts? on a daily basis yes. and it us up. Exactly. That is so accurate. I feel like most fights, conflicts, problems between humans really come down to either a misunderstanding or it was a trigger. It was something that really isn't even real because it had nothing to do with maybe what you intended or what was actually happening but it set them to a moment, a memory, something that made them feel like the time they were bullied, made them feel like the time that, you know, they were laughed at, made them feel like the time that their parents picked them up late from school and that they don't matter, like whatever it is, it is bringing something up that you have no idea what that person's history is. And so, so often, like, I, I really do believe, I've, I don't think I've ever met a human where um, they intended to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think when we get hurt or upset that the answer was, oh yeah, I meant to. I'm glad you took it that way because that's exactly what I was intending. I wanted you to feel really bad about yourself. Like that is never what happens, but it's either a misunderstanding or we are making it mean something that has nothing to do with what that person was saying or doing. 
Yeah, so much freedom, I feel like, comes when we stop taking everything so personally and just let things that happen be just things that happen in the world. Yeah, you set yourself free and you set everyone in your world free because now when people interact with you and behave around you, whatever their behavior is, you're not making it mean either I'm, I'm important or I'm not important. I'm smart or I'm not smart. I'm pretty or I'm not pretty. I'm good enough or I'm not good enough. It's like all of a sudden everyone around you is just free to operate you know, the way they desire without having to worry about how you might make it mean something about you. Yeah. I love that so much. So obviously everyone needs to read your book, Bending Reality. Um, but I imagine you probably read other books too. Do you have any other favorites to share with us? Oh yes. I have a whole list. Um, that let's see, you know, a book that I really enjoy. I've been reading a lot of money books recently. So there's, there's one about busting loose from the money game that I think is actually just a spiritual book, but you know, they get you with the money title. Um, I'm just looking at my phone quickly because I have all of these categories of books that I'm constantly compiling. Um, so let's see. Um, oh, sorry. I don't want to take up our time looking this up. I don't know why it's not popping up in my notepad. Um, but yeah, I would say like a couple um, favorites or timeless ones. I love The Alchemist. I named my company Alchemist Ventures based on the book, The Alchemist. Uh, I'm sure you've probably read that one. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also, let's see. I love Mama Gina's work. Um, I love... Oh, why is it slipping me right now? But um, T. Harvecker's the Secrets to a Millionaire Mind is something that I read recently. Um, oh, and then I recently just started listening to John Gray's Beyond Mars and Venus, uh, which is about, um, yeah, men and women, but really like estrogen, testosterone levels and how those interplay in relationship as well. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll find my list and I'll send it to you. Awesome. So interesting. The last one you mentioned sounds, sounds really good. Um, but it's funny because yeah, you mentioned that one of the money books is, is like a, just a spiritual book with, with it. That's kind of, I feel like a lot of it though, because don't you feel like whether it's money or relationships or what success, it's, it's all the same spiritual principles that go into creating those, that happiness around whatever the subject it is, and then attracting the good things and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. That is precisely why I wrote my book. Cause I wanted to break it down and say, this is what I think everyone is getting at, whether it's your yeah. health or money or career, but these are the basic tools that are true for all of the above. So if you want to create abundance, well, abundance feels expansive in the body. If you want to create um, joy and happiness, fulfillment, peace, like that's held at, on the energy or frequency of expansion in the body, you know? So there's certain targets that um, we may think like it requires a different work or a different path, but when we realize the feeling state that it's actually creating in our body and how we only desire anything we desire because we believe it will make us feel expansive when we get there, then it becomes actually a very interesting way to hack the feeling state that you can feel now versus feel like you have to wait until you achieve X to feel. Um, and I believe that the more we can actually feel the way we think that thing will make us feel, the quicker and easier it becomes to get to the place that we're trying to get. Um, because yeah, it exists on the feeling state of expansion. So yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway is everything, every goal you have, every desire you have, every vision you have, you only have it because you 
feel expansive when you imagine it coming true for you. And so what if you knew how to feel expansive right now? What if you could feel the feelings of love and joy and peace right now and fulfillment right now? Then all of a sudden, not only does all of that get to just feel like extra and more, but you get to accelerate the um, speed at which it takes to get and arrive at wherever you're trying to get to. Yeah. And that's exactly why I loved your book so much because it just made it so simple to, instead of it's like, oh, am I in lack about money? Am I feeling this way about this? Am I, da, 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 da? Am I manifesting this properly? What am I? It's just, are you in expansion? Are you in contraction? And just me, mm-hmm. it's so simple. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this book came to you. Did you say, did you write an introduction that you wrote this book in one week? Or like a few. Yeah. Yes. Frankly, if I try to spend more time on it, I would have made it worse. I'm so glad I just got it out. Um, because even the version of me now post writing that book, I think would have overcomplicated it. Like I think if that book came through today, I don't know if it like I was just in a in a certain expansive state that I was completely trusting of whatever came through, just release it. And I feel like sometimes I'm not in that state at all. And if it came through, I would think it's not good enough. It needs this, it needs that. I need to add more. Let me spend a year on it. And then I'd probably put something out that wouldn't land the way it did for you. Like you said, it was so simple. I probably would have written it. You would have read it and thought that was really convoluted and complex and unnecessary. So, so um, yeah, I, I think the simplicity came because I just channeled it and released it and didn't think twice about it. Yeah. You trusted yourself. And that's like, the, yes. one of the most beautiful things about this journey and all of this healing is we can learn to trust ourselves and trust our intuition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's when I know that I'm in my flow state is when there's complete trust and I'm not trying to overthink things. It's like, sometimes I have a knowing that just gets more confusing if I try to think too hard about it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Amazing. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure everyone is definitely going to read your book. Um, How can we find you and connect with you otherwise? Yeah. So my website is www.victoriasong.me. And I also have an Instagram page, uh, Victoria E. Song. Um, And then otherwise, I love, love, love um, having readers in my programs. I often offer free masterclasses. Uh, So if that's something you're interested in, um, definitely come check out my website and you can find more information. Perfect. We will link those items in the show notes for everybody. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Leah. I loved your questions. Thank you so much for this conversation. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go read the book. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and take a screenshot, share it on social media, tag us in it. And don't forget to drop us a rating and a review. I so appreciate when you guys help me grow the podcast by giving those and allowing more people to find us. So I love you guys so much and I'll see you next week. 